You are listening to audio from The Creek Church. If you would like more information about The Creek, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. Happy 4th of July, everyone. It is Independence Weekend. We do everything around weekends around here, right? It's Independence Weekend. Thank you for being here. And uh, one of the things that we do in my family is when we have a birthday, and it feels like that's all the time because I have a large family, but we gather, we have that person's favorite meal, and then we pray a prayer of blessing over them. So what I would like to do, can we pray a prayer of blessing over our nation? Lord knows we need it, right? Father, we come to you right now, and we, we realize that, that ultimately our freedom only happens because of what you did, Jesus, on the cross, what you did through the grave, and you walk victoriously out with the keys, Lord, that you hold our freedom in your hand, and that you give us the freedom. And God, we, we know that you've set us in this, this time, in this place, and in this nation, so that we might be a people, like you said in, in Acts 17, would reach out and perhaps find you. And so, God, I thank you that, that you have a plan for our nation, that you desire our nation to walk in, in holiness and righteousness. And God, I'm just asking that as we celebrate our nation's birthday for you to just bless us as a country. Lord, that you bless this land, that you bless our people. God, we ask that you give just supernatural divine wisdom to our leaders. That God, that you, Holy Spirit, move throughout our nation to bring about change that only you can bring, that you can bring unity where there's division, that you can bring hope where there's hopelessness, you can bring grace where there's just incredible darkness. And God, we just ask for you to pour that out. And we know that when you move on a nation, as we've seen in your word, when you move on a nation, you move through the people of that nation. And so I'm asking you, God, to fill us. Let us be people who are change agents. Let us be people who who take the freedom that you give us very seriously, and we steward that well. Now, God, I pray that the world would look to us as a nation to see that we are focused on you, that we desire your goodness, and that we walk in your statutes. God, may we be a people that walk in the way of the Lord. We ask for your blessing over our nation. We ask for healing relationally, we ask for healing over, over physical illnesses and the pandemic. And God, we just ask for you to just move in a mighty way in our land. You said in your word, if my people who are called by, by name will humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways and repent, then you will hear from heaven and you will heal our land. And so, Father, I'm just asking for us to be a people of repentance, a people of humility, and a people who walk in the health and the healing of this land. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So glad you're here. Thank you for joining in. If you got your Bible, go to Genesis chapter 42. We've been in the life of Joseph. We're going to wrap that series up this weekend. I'm excited about it because it, it, it's, it, it feels like a journey, right? The series is directionally challenged, and we've seen Joseph take so many different directions in his life and, and this dream to come to fulfillment, yet what we're going to see tonight is the person. It's not about the destination. It's about who we are when we get there. And so the question for you tonight is, who are you? Who are you? When we, when we face that time and time again, we always go through identity issues. I find myself going through an identity crisis at times, and I'll have to come back to that question and go, okay, God, who am I? Who am I? 
And I want to be who he wants me to be. And we're going to see Joseph working through this. You, you saw with our Creek Kids Corner, I liked the animation that led us through that. I was, I was in the green room watching that, and Adam goes, you're going to have to get out there. I was like, well, this, let's just watch the rest of this. I mean, this is great. Tell them to finish the story, and I'll just watch, and we'll, we'll all pray and go home. And, uh, or you can uh, go tend to whatever you're cooking in the kitchen. As you're watching online, you're probably cooking something right now, and uh, so you can go tend to that. So anyway, Joseph, he's 39 years old when we pick up this this point, and so he had been released from prison. He's number two in Egypt. God had elevated him, and, and he saw his dream coming to fruition, and uh, there's, there's a seven years of good, and then there are two years into the bad right now. And in chapter 42, Jacob is uh, Joseph's father, also named Israel. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, behold, I've heard that there's grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there that we may live and not die. So 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came for the famine, uh, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Do you remember the dream that Joseph had? When he was 17 years old, 22 years ago, he had a dream that his brothers, his family was going to bow to him. That's what got him in this whole issue in the first place. That's what set his life on the series of directional shifts and changes and all the challenges that Joseph went through. And so Israel, Jacob, says, I've heard there's grain in Egypt. It's in a famine. He sends 10 of the sons. Benjamin he kept because Benjamin was now, according to him, the youngest one. So he's like, I'm protecting the baby. So all y'all youngest kids... Yeah, we know what you like. You know, the babies of the family. You get the extra special protection and everything. And uh, so, so, but Israel passed that on to, to Benjamin because he thought Joseph was dead. So his brothers take off, 10 of them, they go, and they come into the, the, the court. And Joseph is the governor, and he's the one that handles selling to everyone. And his brothers see him, and they bow their faces to the ground. In verse 9, it says, it says that Joseph remembered the dream. Can you, can you imagine that moment, that, that realization of, of Joseph sitting there, all his life has been through, and they say, we've got some people that are coming in that want to buy, and he looks up, and he sees his brothers. Now, we're going to see how Joseph reacted but here's a little litmus test. Who are you? If that, if that were you in Joseph's seat and the brothers walked in and you see them, listen, I, I'm human, right? Everything within me would be, it would, it would be like to stand up and call down the wrath of everything I have in Egypt. You know, I want you to go dig a pit for 10 of them. Where's, where's the other brother? I know there's another. Where's the young one? Is he home? Go get him. But, but Joseph, he, he recognized them. They didn't recognize Joseph. And Joseph goes into this little, this, if you read it, I'm not going to read it for you. You got to read it. It's, it's awesome. He goes into this little charade because they don't recognize him. So he's kind of playing it. 
He asks, he says, do you have a father? Is he still alive? Is he well? They're like, yes, our father's alive and well. Do you have any other brothers? Yeah, we have another brother. We actually have two brothers, but one is no more. And at that point, Joseph's like, yeah, tell me about that one. <laughs> what did you do? So he gets the story, and then he says, all right, you can buy the grain. So he calls one of his servants, he says, fill their sacks and take the money that they just paid for that grain and put it back. And then he tells them, he says, you go, but bring the other brother, bring your younger brother, I want to see him too. I want to know, because he says, you're spies. He's got this whole thing, like you're spying on us. He goes, so to prove you're not spies and to prove all this is legit, bring your youngest brother to me when you come back. So they go, they discover the money, and they're like, oh my goodness, we might have just really made an enemy out of Egypt by what just happened. And then they tell the father what's going on, and the father's like, okay, we're out of grain again. Some time goes by. Go get some more. We can't go get more unless we bring Benjamin. You're not taking Benjamin. You're not taking my baby. No, go buy the grain and take that money that was in there and take it and go, oh, you put this accidentally back in our sack, so we, we want to do the right thing. And Reuben says, we can't go without Benjamin. And he swears an oath to Israel to say, I'll, I'll take his life. I'll, I will protect it. If any harm comes to him, it's on me. So they go, they go back. They buy more grain. And I'm, I'm giving you the condensed version, okay? You got to read this. And then he sends them off again. But he puts his silver cup in Benjamin's bag. And he sends his servant and he says, Hey, somebody stole my cup. It's like his Yeti. Like, you're like, you know, you have to finance those things, right? So Joseph's like, They took my Egyptian Yeti. It had a little sphinx on the side, you know, and the nose was still intact at that time. Go, go find it. I bet it's in one of their bags. And so they show up and they said, One of y'all took, took, took Joseph's Yeti. And he wants it back. He is upset because his ice is melting really fast. And they're like, we didn't, we did, no, we didn't, we did not touch it. And then they say, tell you what, if you find that, you can kill him. Or if you find that, he can be your servant. All right, so they start going, they find it. So Reuben steps up to save his, if they find him in Benjamin's bag, he's the baby, right? Reuben steps up to save his brother. They bring them all back to Joseph. And, and, and this, is, this is what happens in Genesis chapter 45. They're all back before him. And Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out for me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept out loud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers couldn't answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. They were just thinking, oh my goodness. I think we're dead. I mean, they're probably formulated. It was him. It was him. <laughs> you know, because I've got siblings. I know how that game works. They were dismayed. So Joseph said, come, come here, please. And they came near and he said, I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now don't be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. 
For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He's made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler of all the land of Egypt. Hurry up and go get my dad. Go get my father and say, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds, all that you have. There I will provide for you. For there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And then Pharaoh's like, what's the commotion? What's going on? Something going on with Joseph. Joseph tells him, and the Pharaoh says, go get him. I'm going to give your family the best land of Egypt. What an incredible redemption and reconciliation. But listen to me, we don't see that happen unless we see the the character of God formed in Joseph, and that character of God that was formed in Joseph was formed through all of the trials. It was formed by the betrayal of being thrown into the pit. It was formed by the, by the, by the humiliation of being sold into slavery. It was formed by the, the, the betrayal and the false accusations from Potiphar's wife. It, all of these things formed that character. They begin to shape it. I said last week that iron sharpens iron. Joseph was getting sharp. The character of God was coming out in all of these situations. And Joseph was who he needed to be, where he needed to be, so that lives could be saved. Listen to the heart of Joseph. Don't be angry at yourselves. Joseph had already let anger go. Don't be angry at yourselves. I mean, that moment when they're standing, they're like, oh, we probably should not have done that. Joseph, can we get a take back on this, man? We, we, we love you. It was it. But he says, don't be angry. Because what I've come to realize, it wasn't you that did this to me. God had to take me through a process of refining me so that I could be in this position to save lives. And I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bring you here to live with me. And your children and your children and your children's children are going to be blessed because of what God has set up through what you thought was the end of my life. Your jealousy, your hatred fueled this whole thing that God has now spun into blessing and favor and lives being saved and in eternities being changed. That is a, that, 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 honestly, guys, that is a leader. Joseph's dream that God placed on his life was leadership. That's a leader. That he, he stepped back. And when I, when I start thinking about what Joseph was doing, he was acting out of love. He wasn't acting out of hatred. He didn't return the hatred that his brothers had for him with hatred. Look, that doesn't get us anywhere. We see that on the news. When you try to combat hatred with hatred, you just get more hatred. When you can bring something that's opposing and greater than the hatred, and it's the love of God into that situation, then we can say when we're wrong, don't be angry at yourself. You wronged me, but you don't, don't be angry with yourself because God's redeemed this. God's got a purpose in this. My, my sights aren't set on your thoughts of me. My sights are set on what his dream for my life is. And that dream was leadership. 
And Joseph had to go through those trials to be the leader God called him to be and for him to be a loving leader. Look at the nurturing nature of his leadership. He's keeping people alive. He's keeping people fed. He's now blessing his family. He's reuniting with his family. He weeps on his brothers and he wants them back. He wants that connection back. He doesn't want to get back to good. He wants to go on to great. He said, I, don't, I want to come home with you now. Let's get back and let's do life like we used to do it. No, no, that's gone. Let's move on. Come here. The God's got a new thing for us. God's got a new plan for us. God's got a new life for us. He's got a new home for us. He's got a new provision for us. Listen, that's what we have to be saying and thinking right now. We can't get back to February. We can't get back to January. God's called us on. There's a new hope, a new life, a new plan, a new provision, and we got to walk in that. God said, hey, I'm moving you along. I, I hope you've been refined through this whole process. If not, it's been a real rough ride. And I'm not saying it's been an easy ride if you've been refined, but God is working on some things. Let him work. Let him build in you like he was building in Joseph. We see the faithfulness of God that when he sets a dream, he declares it. He spoke it. He said, I've seen the end from the beginning. I know. I say it, God says, and I will see it through. And when I look at Joseph and I look at his leadership, he responds with love. He doesn't react. We've got too much reaction happening right now. We need responses. We need loving responses. What do I mean by that? Input comes in. I mean, this space between our ears, we get the input that comes in, and there's a processing that happens here. And in that processing time, we have a choice to make. How do I handle this? You and I are called to place our faith, our hope, our life, our trust, everything in the hands of Jesus. So when that input comes in, I don't react. Joseph's sitting there. He sees his brothers come in. His reaction would be revenge. His reaction would be anger. He responded in love. Love is important because without it, we got nothing. I mean, what's love got to do with it? Everything. I mean, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, he's like, look, I could speak with tongues of angels and heavenly voices, but if I don't have love, I'm a clanging symbol. I could give you all these prophecies, but if I have love, I'm, not, I'm nothing. And then he goes into every passage that's shared at a wedding. It's not even in the context of wedding. He's talking about this in the context of church, of family, of how we respond to one another. Look at this. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on getting its own way. It's not selfish. It's not irritable or resentful. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Paul would go on and say, love doesn't fail. That's God's love. That's the love that God wants us to have in our hearts. So when we get the input, we respond with that kind of love. And you see that happening with Joseph. Years, he's, he's, he's about 39 years old 
When you track through scripture, 17, he has the dream, shares with his brothers. All his life goes off track. He's 30 years old when he rises to the level two position in Egypt. Then they got the seven years of good. They're two years into the bad, approximately 39 years old. So Joseph had 22 years to stew and become so bitter that he was paralyzed in anything God wanted him to do. Yet, yet. He responded in love. Because the object of his focus was not revenge on his brothers. It was what God wants for his life. He quit letting his brothers control him. And he responds with love. Joseph was a loving leader. Joseph had to be a loving man to be a loving leader. You can't be a loving leader unless you're a loving man. You can't be a loving leader unless you're a loving woman. You got It has to be in here to come out. Love has to be an identity for you. And when I look at love as a leader and love, love in this context, I see love is compassionate. A leader is compassionate. Joseph was compassionate. When he saw his brothers, there was compassion there. It was, I, I, need, to, I need to do something here because... Because the love says, love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but, but when the truth wins. When the truth wins. Not when I win, not when I get my way, not when I get my revenge, but I don't rejoice in the wrong going on. I don't rejoice in someone else's suffering. Listen, compassion means this. It means I have a desire that's birthed in love for another person to alleviate their suffering. It's not the misery loves company. It's, it's we as the redeemed are going into these hard situations and being a voice of compassion and not saying, well, you, you made your bed, lie in it. I mean, when Jesus would see crowds, what would Scripture tell us? He had compassion on them and he healed their sick. Joseph has compassion on his brothers. Then he didn't return the injustice to his brothers but showed them mercy and love. There was a moment that he did speak harshly to them. Because he's like, you're spies. But yet, you see, after he does that, Joseph weeps because he says, that's not me. That's not in my character. That's not who I am. And he, he, he ends up realizing that God has done more in him than his brothers did to him. Some of y'all need to hear that. Some of y'all need to realize that God's done more in you than someone has done to you. And that begins to change a response, to be compassionate. It took love to respond and to be compassionate. Joseph wanted to alleviate their sorrow, their suffering, their starving, and he can help them. How compassionate are you? When the one who has wronged you is suffering, how, how do you respond? Do you rejoice in their sufferings? Well, they got what's coming to them. Or, or does your heart break for them and how you might be that hand to alleviate their suffering? Joseph was compassionate. He was forgiving. Love is forgiving. I, I love that we see that love it's not rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful is what the English 
Standard Version says, resentful. The New Living Translation puts it this way. It keeps no records of being wronged. This is a tough one. In relationships, it feels like the closer we are to somebody and the more love abounds in that relationship, the easier it is to start keeping that list, right? We say, you know, we hear the term, let's bury the hatchet, but somebody left a handle sticking out, and so we keep tripping over that thing. How about this? Instead of burying the hatchet, how about get rid of it? How about, how about just put it in the trash, let the garbage guy pick it up and take it and put it in a landfill? You don't have to worry about it then. See, forgiveness says, oh, the wrong that happened to me, it's gone. How does God deal with forgiveness? He says, I'm faithful and just. When you confess your sins, I forgive you. And you know what he does with that sin? He throws it as far as the east is from the west. How do you measure that distance? You cannot. It is infinite and is to be remembered and returned no more. Joseph had all, listen, forgiveness is a tough thing. But Joseph had already dealt with forgiveness before his brothers walked in the room. How do I know? Read it. He loved him. He didn't didn't pull out the scroll. He didn't go, oh, here comes my brothers. Hey, scribe, can you bring the scroll of my history out and just start reading it to them? Oh, you, you threw me in a pit and you walked away. But no, you need to hear all the wrongs that you have caused in my life. Go. Don't forget that one. Yeah, you hearing this? You hearing that? How you feel now? Joseph had already wiped that slate clean. Listen, we've got to be people that are forgiving. If we're going to end up people who reflect the character of God and the destination he has for us, we have to be willing to forgive others. We've got to allow love to lead us to forgiveness. We don't focus on the wrongs being done to us. We focus on what's right, and we start moving in that direction. I mean, we think that God God just loves us that much, and he forgives us. While we were yet sinners, Jesus went to the cross. It, it baffles my mind to hear people go, well, I, my, I, if I can get my life cleaned up, then God will love me. God, God chose you. God set his sights on you. Jesus died for you. While we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. He didn't say, I'll I'll, I'll pay for your sin when you can get your life cleaned up. He said, come on, that's the nature of God, forgiving. Come, let forgiveness wash you. Let forgiveness change you. Let forgiveness shape your future. Listen, the forgiveness that Joseph had already, already accounted for for his brothers changed his brother's future. It changed Joseph's future. He's got the fulfillment of his family back. Let forgiveness start rewriting the history that you've yet to live. And he was hopeful. In verse 7, it says, love hopes all things. He was hopeful. And I'm sure he had moments. Man, he's human. I mean, let's not elevate Joseph to God status. He's human. He's got emotions. When we hurt, we hurt, right? When somebody does us wrong, it's, it, we don't like it. I mean, we feel it. We, we go through this mix of things. But yet, he was hopeful. I mean, and he, he has to hold on to that hope in the pit. And when the, the rope or the ladder or whatever they used, they used to get him out of the pit came down, he had to be hoping, I got freedom coming. And then he's in Potiphar's house. What? 
This wasn't the, what I thought it was going to be. Yeah, God, I know. God's favor was on him. His presence was with him. There's hope in that. And then he gets thrown in prison. <laughs> Yet there's hope. Yet there's hope. And then what is he doing with that hope? He's now feeding other people with hope. Listen, there's a lot of things to be discouraged about if we let it. And, and I don't, hope is not just some kind of Pollyanna pie in the sky, like, oh, everything's just going to be great. Do you know where our hope from God ultimately comes from? It comes from suffering. I mean, Paul said we rejoice in our sufferings because they build character. We need character to be who God's called us to be, where he's called us to be. And that, that character builds hope. And hope doesn't put us to shame. Listen, the world needs hope. We're the people who can deliver it. I mean, we can sit back and go, God, bring them hope, bring hope, bring hope, bring hope. I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just like Joseph's brothers could sit and say, God, provide for us, provide for us, provide for us. But you know what? Joseph had to open up the storehouse to get grain to his brothers. Look, we, we're praying, God, bring hope to our nation, bring hope to our world. You know what? He's saying, you are in the positions that I've placed you to be in so that you can open up the storehouses and you can see lives saved through the hope that you pour out. And if you didn't listen to last week, you'll learn this about the hope we pour out. You'll never outgive God. The more hope we pour out, the more hope he pours in us. It's a real tangible hope. It says their better days are coming. There's, yeah, this is hard right now, but God's on the other side of it. God's got something for us. God's doing something. He doesn't stop working. He's always faithful. He shows himself faithful and faithful and faithful and faithful and faithful and faithful. The hope was in the plan. Seven years. Let's get ready for the bad. Let's hope is in, is in saving his family and seeing his father again. The hope is in securing a place for Israel that would ultimately lead into the process of Moses being raised up so they could be led out of Egypt that ultimately led to the process of the, of the of Israel establishing themselves as God's people. And then out of that, Jesus comes. And then out of that, we get redemption. There's always hope. That's the hope. That's the hope. We can't lose hope. One of my favorite movie quotes is this. Hope is a good thing, Red. And Heather and I say that to each other all the time. Hope is a good thing. We need that hope. But I want to ask you, where is your hope set right now? Listen, if your hope's on the government, if your hope's on your employment, if your hope's on a vaccine, if your hope's on your strength, the hope's on you, your sights are set way too low. Yes, I'm praying for our government. They need prayer. Yes, I'm praying for a vaccine. God's going to give supernatural wisdom to the scientists that are working to get a shot that's going to that's gonna help us do this thing better. But that's not where my hope is. My hope is the one who can give the divine revelation. My hope is in the one that can, can, can regardless of where you think a leader stands or not, it, it's God who set them there. No leader rises to the level they're at without God's authority. And God, if he sets that, he can pour divine wisdom in. Listen. Set your hope on things above because that's the only hope that fulfills. Look, I, I know this year, I know this year has not gone the way any of us planned. None of us, when we were 
December 31st, 2019. Well, what's your resolutions, honey? What do you want to see happening this year? Well, I'd like to be shut in for five, maybe six, probably eight, possibly nine months um, with a pandemic. Um, I'd like to do church totally different. I'd like to do everything online and then try to come back. And what do we do? You know, I'd like to have everybody second guess every decision I make. How about you? You know? I just want to lose 10 pounds. You know? <laughs> Sorry, there's this thing called COVID. You're going the other way. You know? <laughs> You're going to pick up 20. None of us, <laughs> the plan went out the window, right? But that doesn't mean that, that we are not who God's called us to be. This is a time for our character to shine. This is a time for what God has built in us through all the trials to stand up and stand strong, stand out in our country, stand out in our neighborhoods, and be the hope, be compassionate, forgiving, hopeful people leading with the, what God has given us. We've got what the world needs. We can feed them. Hey, come on in. We can save your life. That's the hope God's put in the hands of the church. That's what I'm moving forward with. Because this dream is bigger than me. This dream is bigger than you. This dream is about the reconciliation of all things, the redemption of all things, that one day we stand in the presence of God and every tear is wiped away and every sorrow has been taken care of and every moment of pain, every ounce of pain and suffering that we face has been fully redeemed when we stand in the presence staring at Jesus face to face. That's the dream. That's my hope. That's where my sights are set. Yeah, we're going to be directionally challenged while we move through this earth but we can set our faith in the one who knows exactly how to navigate every step of the way. So as we close this series, I just want to ask you this question. Who are you? God, we love you. Thank you so much for your grace on us. And We come to this moment and so many are concerned about where we're going. And God, I'm just asking you right now, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would secure who we are in our going. I pray that you would secure identities today through salvation, that you set people in relationship with you, Jesus, who was crucified and resurrected, and that by placing our faith in you, we can have salvation, we can have hope, we can have love that so transforms our life and begins to change the trajectory of our future. Let us be people who are compassionate, forgiving, and hopeful. Let us show your love so that many lives may be saved and that you are glorified. We thank you for blessing us. May that blessing move from generation to generation and on. Thank you for listening to this message from the Creek Church. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast, or if you have any questions, you can email us at info at